Good morning. My name is Scott. I'm on staff here at New Denver Church. I know that I've met some of you, but my wife and I moved here in September and everyone we met was wearing a mask. So now that we're not wearing a mask, we feel like we're meeting people uh, all over again, just trying to figure out who's who and, and how things work around here. One of the things we've learned since moving to Denver is uh, you have some pretty majestic mountains here. In Texas, we have things that we call mountains. I climbed one of them. Okay, it was called Enchanted Rock because it really isn't a mountain. Uh, from the base to the peak is... It's 480 feet. <laughs> Texans like to brag about everything there's bigger and better. No, it's not. Uh, some things are, but Enchanted Rock isn't. But I've climbed Enchanted Rock. Okay, I walked up. You can stay upright the whole time. It, I walked up Enchanted Rock a number of times, and uh, sometimes with my kids when they were a little bitty. Even as small as it is, I'll tell you this. You, you stand at the base, and you look up, and you think... Oh, that's a, that's a real easy walk. And 20 minutes into it, you stop and, and you look down and, and you have the same feel every time. I thought, I'd, I thought I'd come farther. And then you look up and it's like, I've still got a long way to go. I don't know about you, but often in life I felt that way. I would reach certain plateaus in life and, and I'd look back and I'd think, I, I thought I would know more by now. I remember that, you know that time when you first realize you're an adult? It's something bad happens and, and you start looking around for the adult to take care of it and you realize, that's going to be me. I'm now the adult. And you're at that point and you look at your life and you think, I, I thought I would know more at this point. If you've tried to raise children, you're just overwhelmed with the feeling of, I thought, I thought parents knew more than they know, but we don't. And there's always that, that mountain to climb and that peak that just seems to be moving farther away, even if it's really just enchanted rock. We're looking at uh, Proverbs chapter 2 this morning. We're spending the summer in Proverbs talking about gaining God's wisdom and then taking that wisdom of God and, and applying it in our life. And today we're looking at a man who's crying out to his son saying, learn from me and take this wisdom and apply it and then find wisdom and live it out. And when you do that, you will be in the ways of God. It's a pretty great passage. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 1 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, let's just stop here. Because he's crying out to, to his son, saying, I want you to accept my commands. I want you to store up my words. Accept my commands. Because he knows his son is going to be getting all kinds of commands from all kinds of people. That there'll be all kinds of people out there saying, do this, do that, uh, pulling him in all kinds of different directions. And, and, and in his heart, he loves his son with all of his life. And he wants good things to happen to his child. So he's saying, accept my, I'm telling you the truth, listen to me. Because there'll be all kinds of voices calling you in all kinds of different directions. One of the very difficult things in life is to figure out 
who to listen to and who not to listen to. And it's not always easy because sometimes sometimes the lies of the world dress so well and they look so good. And sometimes the truth appears a bit disheveled. Years ago, like all youth ministers in the state of Texas, I would take my youth group to Colorado to ski. We came up one time, and there was a kid in our group, and he had surprised me. About a week before we were going skiing, he said, I'm really excited about going skiing over spring break. And I remember looking at him saying, oh, really? Who are you going skiing with? And he said, you. And I said, you're not signed up. And he said, I thought I did. I said, you didn't. And so I had this guy that wanted to go and I called the travel agent and I said, what do I do? And she said, you know, if you just like bring an air mattress and throw them on the floor, I won't know. So I won't even charge you for him. So you got his room covered. And, and I said, well, and I've got a guy going and I found out he's got his own boots and skis, but I'd rented some for him. So I'll give those. I, I got everything covered. And, and we threw the kid on the bus and we brought him up here and we all went. I had everything covered except the lift ticket. Hadn't purchased his lift ticket. And it was really bothering me because I'm now standing at the mountain and I'm just going to have to walk up to the window and pay full, full price for a lift ticket. And all the other lift tickets I'd bought at the group rate. And now I'm going to have to walk up to the window and you're about to cringe because I'm about to pay $35 for a three-day lift ticket. That's what they cost in the 1980s. That's how old I am, all right? And, and I just didn't want to pay that much money for a three-day lift ticket, but I really had no option. And, and we'd gotten all the kids up, and I was standing there with my wife, and I said, well, I'm just going to have to go pay full price for the lift ticket. I don't see any option. And about then, I saw an option. This guy was standing just out in the open. Had his big jacket on, and, and he had... A literal fistful of lift tickets. This is when all ski tickets had the, the elastic string on them. And he had this big handful of tickets with all the elastic strings hanging down. And, he's, and people are walking up to him and I'm watching. And they're giving him cash and he's giving them a lift ticket. And they're giving him cash. He's give, and I'm thinking, is this legal? What am I really seeing here? What's going? But he was out in the open. He wasn't hiding it. So I thought, I'm, I'm watching. No one's getting arrested by the ski lift ticket patrol or whoever would do that. And I look over here and I see the ticket window. And I look over here and I see this guy. And he was just... Some guys are just kind of big teddy bear kind of guys. That's who he was. And he was just chatting with everybody that came by. And I thought, he doesn't frighten me. Maybe he knows something good. And maybe this is the right way to go. So I walked up to him. And he grinned at me real big. And he said, what do you need? I said, I need a three-day lift ticket. And he goes, oh, let's see, two. And, oh, he said, here's a four-day with only one day punched on it. This is the old hole punch days. He said, it's only, only one day punched. 
And I said, yeah, how much, you know? And he said, yeah, how about 10 bucks? Okay. I gave him $10. He gave me the lift ticket. I put it on my jacket. And my wife said, is, is this going to work? I said, I have no idea. And we got in line. And I walked up like I own the entire mountain. And the kid walked up. And he grabbed my lift ticket. And he pulled it out. And he looked me straight in the eye. And he looked down. And he punched it. And he said, you have a great day. It worked. I got a three-day lift ticket for $10. But I had a choice to make, didn't I? I could either go to the window where everybody else was going, or I could go to this guy who honestly, I wasn't sure if he was legit or not. I had to make a decision. And, and what Solomon is saying in this passage is to his son, you're going to make decisions all through your life about where you go and who you listen to and who you follow. I want you to make good decisions. And sometimes... It's not easy to figure out what the best direction is. Because sometimes you have to travel that road less traveled. The Bible describes it as that narrow road that few go down. Instead of that wide path that everyone else was going down, getting in line to pay full price for the lift ticket in this illustration. And he's hollering at his son. Well, yeah, he probably if you've raised children, you've... My son, if, if you accept my words, and oh, how he wants his son to accept his words. He is saying here, those four words that every parent has said at some point to their child, listen to me. I want you to listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I've traveled that path. And I know what's good. And the scripture is calling to us. Listen to me. Store up my commands within you. Then he says we need to turn our ear to wisdom. And apply our heart to understanding. Let's take that which we hear. Let's start paying attention to it. Let's start really listening to it. And then let's do something with it. Let's apply it. Let's not just say, this is what I know, but this is what I know, therefore this is what I do. Let's apply our heart to understanding. Let's take the wisdom that God gives us and let's live like we're wise. Let's live differently than the people of the world. Let's live as people of wisdom. And the Father is crying out, Listen to me. Follow me. This is Father's Day. I like Father's Day. I have two children, and I like them both. They're great adults. Both my kids are terrible drivers. I'm terrified when I ride with either my son or my daughter. They're really bad drivers. Do you know who taught them to drive? I did. I didn't teach them to drive the way they drive. I told them to drive differently. I got in the car with them and I said, this is how you do it, this is how you do it, this is how you do it. But through all their childhood and all their teenage years, they rode with me. 
Do you know why my kids are bad drivers? They drive exactly like I do. They're way too aggressive. They're way too pushy on the road. They're way too, they call me now. I don't know if it's in the official children, here's how to get along with your parent handbook, but they call me when they're driving someplace. And I can hear the road noises around them. And they're going to honk their horn at somebody at some point. Again, I never told them to do that. But they rode in the car with me. And one reason we need to be people of wisdom and we need to live well is the world doesn't look at Christians and ask us how Christians are supposed to live. They watch how we live. And whether you're an aggressive or non-aggressive driver is not that big a deal. But whether we are loving people is that big a deal. Whether we start arguments or end arguments is a big deal. Whether we go to people in need or we condemn people for having needs really matters. And if we're going to live well, we're going to live as people of wisdom and then we're going to follow the teachings of our Heavenly Father and we're going to apply them in our lives. So when the Father is crying out, listen to me, we hear these words in Proverbs and we know that our Heavenly Father is crying out to us on this Father's Day saying, listen to me. This is how you need to live life and this is what you need to be doing. And some of you know better than how you're living. He says in verse 3, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and you search for it as hidden treasure, good things are going to come to us. If we do what? If we call out and cry aloud, if we look and if we search. When we began the series in Proverbs, uh, Stephen kicked us off by preaching out of Proverbs 1 and uh, Matt talked about uh, the passage out of Proverbs 1 where wisdom is sitting at the city gates. We have it on a piece of artwork here in the foyer. Wisdom is sitting at the city gates and she is calling out. She's crying out to us. And it's interesting the little twist that the writer takes here in the second chapter when he says, as wisdom is calling out and crying out and shouting to you, you need to call out, cry out, and shout for wisdom, saying, I want to find the truth. It used to be to, to gain knowledge. You had to pull books off of a shelf. And, and if you were very fortunate, your family owned a set of encyclopedias. And you could go to those books and you could learn things. And, and we all just kind of dreamed of what would it be like if everybody had access to, to pretty much all knowledge that's out there. If we had some inner connection, some net that pulled it all together, some, some worldwide web that would let us all learn everything, wouldn't that be great? It's not been so good. Because there are so many voices telling us so many things right now that any of us can take our personal opinion and find it supported somewhere on the internet and say, well, I've researched it, and, and everyone agrees with me. This has to be true. And, and it's like 
thousands of years ago, the writer of Proverbs said, this is going to be tough. You're going to have, if, if you want to actually find wisdom, not just affirmation of your own opinion, you're going to have to search for it, like it's silver or gold. You're going to have to search for it like it's rare and it's precious. And if we're going to live well and we're going to find the way of God in today's culture, we're going to have to learn how to find wisdom and reject the foolish teachings of the world. And that is not always easy. That is never easy to do. And so the writer of this book says, it's going to be found not by those who say, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know the right thing. Yeah, I wonder what God's will for my life is today. Yeah, maybe, maybe God thinks we should handle this. I don't know. You know, whatever. It's not going to get you there. He says, do you see the actions we're being called to? We're to call out, cry aloud. We're to look and we are to search. There's a certain amount of rudeness to this, isn't there? <laughs> of I'm going to scream and shout, and I'm going to push chairs over, and I'm going to open drawers, and I'm going to look places other people aren't looking, because I really want to find wisdom, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to have disruptive behavior in my own life, and when I look at my own life and I think, I'm not sure I'm finding the way of God, I'm going to find the way of God. And if, if it upsets the apple carts around me, so be it. I will upset the apple carts. I will cry aloud. Remember the, the man who wanted to be healed and Jesus was walking by and he started screaming and hollering, Messiah, have mercy on me. And, and the people said, oh, be quiet. Don't bother him. We're going to have to... Well, this has been my experience. I haven't had to bother the people around me as much as I've had to bother my own selfishness, my own preconceived notions, my own arrogance, my own being convinced that I already know the answers. That's who I have to cry out against and say, God, show me your way. Show me the right way. Show me the way of wisdom. And until we do that, we're not going to find it. But we can find it. And when we do, verse 5 says, then we will understand the fear of the Lord and we will find the knowledge of God. We can find the knowledge of God? The Bible says we can. If we pay the price. I was a minister for 35 years on church staff and pastor. For the last decade, I've worked in nonprofit work. I've worked primarily with people in extreme poverty and trying to help move them out of poverty and, and meet their needs. And it's been a fascinating time uh, for me. I've met some incredibly good people. One man that I've met, his name is Roy. And Roy came to our agency because he needed help on a variety of levels. 
And one thing he needed was housing. And this particular agency, we owned 52 houses. That was one of multifaceted things that we did. And we got Roy into uh, one of our houses. And after he'd been there a while, we started getting calls from some of the people. Most of our houses were kind of in the same neighborhood. And, and some of the other folks that we had in houses, they began calling us saying, uh, are you aware Roy's dealing drugs out of the house? I said, no, no, we weren't. And, and we'd rather not know. We did a little research and, and we discovered that he was. And, and one of the reasons Roy had some of the struggles that he had and that he came to us so often for help was, was Roy was an addict and, and he was fighting to overcome it, but he, he just wasn't winning. And he moved into the house that we had for him and, and he started losing the battle again. We went to evict him and the police came and the person who was actually doing the eviction actually called me and said, you're going to need to get down here. The police are here. This, this might get ugly. <laughs> and I went down and I remember standing in the front yard. Roy was sitting up on the porch and the police officer was there. And, and, and we just needed Roy out of the house because he was dealing drugs. And we were trying to get him into a rehab center and he didn't want to go. And we knew that as long as he stayed in the house, he was going to stay on drugs. If we could get him out of the house, we could get him into a, had a chance of getting him to go to a rehab center. And, and the policeman was standing there and he was hollering at Roy. And he said, you know, they, you, they have to give you 30 days notice. Have they given you 30 days notice? And Roy said, no, they haven't given us 30 days notice. And, and this went on. And finally, I just said, uh, I said, Roy, you know that we love you. You know that we care about you. And you know that we only want the best for you. And that's why we're doing this. Isn't that true? And I've got to tell you, the police officer, he's just staring at me like, I've never heard those words at an eviction. <laughs> and Roy's sitting on his porch and he hollered back at me and he said, Oh, Scott, he said, I know you do. I know everybody down there does. You guys have been so good to me. Roy stayed on his porch and he wouldn't leave and he wouldn't go into rehab. And the police officer left and I stood there long enough and I'm visiting with Roy and I'm watching the folks that are helping him deal drugs as they had scattered when the police showed up and, and they're all coming back to the house. And Roy wasn't living well. He wasn't accepting wisdom. He wasn't applying the wisdom that he knew and he wasn't crying out for it with all of his heart. He just wasn't. A couple of weeks later, I saw Roy going down the hallway of our agency and his face was swollen and he was walking with a limp and Roy had gotten hurt bad. He was dealing drugs and I don't remember if they had beat him up to get his drugs or beat him up to get the money he'd gotten because he had just sold the drugs. I don't remember. Uh, either way, Roy was in really bad shape. And he came to us and he said, can you still get me into rehab? And we said, yes, we can. And we got him into a rehab place. It was about an hour east of where we were. 
And Roy went to rehab, and we kept up with him while he was there. But what I noticed was the real change, that Roy made a conscious decision that he was going to do that which was wise and that which was good and that which was godly instead of that which was not wise and that which was bad and that which was ungodly. And he went and he did it. And he finished the program. And he was clean and he was sober again. Now, Roy had been through programs like this before. And we kept waiting for him to move back to our city, into into Tyler, Texas. and, And he didn't come back. We said, Roy, what are you doing? He said, I'm staying here. He said, if I come back, all my drug connections are there. And they're going to pull me back down. Later in this same chapter, the scripture says, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. And Roy had become a wise man. And the Bible says in verse 16, wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman. So wisdom will save us from the evil people, male, female. What, it, it, wisdom will save us from those who will pull us down. And Roy said, I'm not coming back there because here I'm able to live well and I'm not going to be able to live well there. And he stayed in a place where he could do well. And then... This is where the story gets beautiful. Roy calls us and he says, hey, you guys run that food pantry and you do it really well? He said, I want to start a food pantry here because everybody hears it. I mean, he's he's still at the rehab place. They let him stay. And he said, everybody here is in trouble and everybody here needs things. I want to run a food pantry. Will you teach me how to run a food pantry? And we taught him how to run a food pantry and he set up a food pantry. And that's what he started doing. And that's how he started living his life. A few months later, Roy told us that he had been diagnosed with cancer. And a few months after that, he passed away. Roy didn't live all of his life well. But he lived the last chapter really well. Because Roy did what all of us need to do periodically throughout our lives. He stopped and he evaluated and he saw things in his life that weren't right and he changed them. And he began living a life of wisdom instead of a life of foolishness and of folly. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you've not only called us to wisdom, you've given us an entire book in Proverbs filled with your words and your wisdom. Help us to read it, to apply it, and when the ways of the world cry out to us to live differently, help us to cry out louder for wisdom, knowing that if we ask for wisdom, you will give it to us. In the name of Jesus, who made wise decisions all throughout his life, we pray. Amen.